Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 1303. How many lies before you belong to the lies, part 25. This is being recorded on June 23rd of the year 2023. This is yet another program about uh, the war in Ukraine. The title comes from Mort Saul's, well, it is a quote from Mort Saul's autobiography, Mort Saul being the late, brilliant political comedian who was one of Jim Garrison's investigators when the late New Orleans DA was investigating the assassination of JFK in 1963. And, uh, Indeed, lies is something that I'm afraid we are all belonging to. Uh, in Mort Saul's autobiography, again called Heartland, published in 1976, he asked, how many lies before you belong to the lies? And uh, that is a question I think uh, a lot of us should be asking. And indeed, in an era dominated by the Internet, which is in and of itself an information weapon. It is not uh, a source intended to uh, facilitate human uh, elevation and illumination. It is an information weapon. And uh, lying, unfortunately, in the age of the Internet, and now with AIs and deep fake coming in, deep fakes uh, coming into play, uh, it's going to be Katie Barbador. At the end of the program, I'll tell you about some Links, etc. I don't think I need to do that uh, twice in each broadcast. We are going to begin with another uh, characteristically excellent analysis by the Moon of Alabama blog. And uh, yea, Vero, as I speak on uh, the evening of Friday, June 23rd, the Internet is aflame with stories about the uh, Wagner mercenary group supposedly now uh, in a state of open revolt and marching on Moscow and doing this and that. Uh, I find it sort of incredible that the entire Wagner mercenary group would be able to be mustered in a state of uh, complete rebellion, all 25,000 of them. I don't know. I don't know very much about the Wagner group. And uh, I would note, however, several things. A, the NATO air exercises, uh, the largest air exercise in NATO history, is concluding on this day. Uh, the available evidence suggests that so far the much ballyhooed Ukrainian Spring cover offensive has uh, failed rather dramatically. Uh, according to what Putin has alleged, uh, the main thrust has yet to take place. I would also keep in mind something that took place under Barack Obama's watch. He instructed the NSA to install uh, cyber weaponry or devices on Russian information systems what exactly they are, what exactly they can do. is obviously not <laughs> known to yours truly, but uh, I would keep that in mind as we assess all of this. Anyway, uh, speaking of the Internet, speaking, speaking of disinformation, and speaking of what is possible. Again, there is a very uh, astute article on the Moon of Alabama blog, something we will be referencing several times in the course of this program 
And on June 14th of 2023, we are seeing the following. This is called Astroturfing for More War in Ukraine. I have to confess not being absolutely up to speed on matters internet. I didn't know what astroturfing was. I'd heard the term. It became clear when I read this article. And again, the article, Astroturfing from World War in Ukraine, uh, it has a number of tweets that uh, have been issued. One of them is from someone who calls himself Ferrara Qatar UA. That's F-E-R-R-A-R-A-K-T-A-R-U-A from May 29th of 2023. As a British citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money for decades. My only criticism is that the West aren't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of their sons and daughters. Do more now. And then someone uh, calling themselves Karen Getz, capital G-O-E-P-Z, uh, and this also from May 29th to 2023. As a German citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money for decades. My only criticism is that the West aren't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of their sons and daughters. Do more now. And note that the wording is uh, almost identical to that in the previous uh, tweet. And then we have the following. This one from someone calling themselves Oksana Orishia. That's O-K-S-A-N-N-A, capital O-R-I-C-I-A. And this is at uh, UACA. And this also, this is from May 30th of 2023. As a UA... I guess that means Ukrainian, hashtag Canadian. I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money in decades. My only criticism is that the West isn't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of their sons and daughters. And uh, then we have another one. This also from May 30th of 2023. This supposedly from Thomas C. Pimer, P-H-E-I-N-E-R. As an Italian citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money for decades. My only criticism is that the West aren't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of their sons and daughters. Do more now. Again, the same wording. And next we find, and this is from Brit, A-N-G-R, Great Britain. This also from May 30th of 2023. As a British citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money for decades. My only criticism is that the West aren't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of their sons and daughters. Do more now. And then the next is from BP, the B-I-P-I-V, 
and I may be mispronouncing some of these um, <laughs> names of alleged people. This also from May 30th of 2023. As a Romanian citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money for decades. My only criticism is that the West isn't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of its sons and daughters. Do more now. And then the next is Anne. As a Netherlands Dutch citizen, I want to say that arming, this also, by the way, is from May 30th of 2023. As a Dutch citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money in decades. My only criticism is that the West isn't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of their sons and daughters. And the next is from someone called Pibo Ochen, that's P-H-I-B-A-U-D, capital O-C-H-E-M, or someone allegedly <laughs> called Pibo Ochen. Now, can you guess what the wording is here? As a French citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money for decades. My only criticism is that the West isn't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of their sons and daughters. Do more now. And next, we have MH. This is from Mick Havoc, allegedly. And this is from May 31st of 2023. Well, Pibo Okem was from uh, May 30th of 2023. This is from May 31st of 2023. And M.A. or Mick Havoc says, drumroll fanfare, as a Canadian citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money for decades. My only criticism is that the West aren't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of their sons and daughters. Do more now. And the next is by Bogdan Spech, S-P-E-C-H. This also from May 31st of 2023. Can you guess what uh, Bogdan or Boyden is saying? As a Poland citizen, or it should be Polish, as a Polish citizen, I want to say that arming Ukraine is the single best use of taxpayer money for decades. My only criticism is that the West isn't sending enough fast enough. Ukraine is paying for political posturing with the lives of its sons and daughters. And then the uh, the moderator of uh, Moon Alabama, Bernhardt, says, Well, by now, you will have understood the idea. Yes, indeed. And uh, he goes on to say, There are many more subscripts. In total, I count more than 100 by various NATO troll accounts. All the tweets were issued between May 29th and June 6th. This is astroturfing on a fairly sophisticated level. Astroturfing is the practice of hiding the sponsors of a message or organization, e.g. political advertising, religious or public relations, to make it appear as though it originates from and is supported by grassroots participants. It is a practice intended to give the statements or organizations credibility by withholding information about the source's financial backers. The term astroturfing is derived from astroturf, a brand of synthetic carpeting designed to resemble natural, gla- natural grass as a play on the word grassroots, unquote. 
The implication behind the use of the term is that instead of a, quote, true, unquote, or, quote, natural, unquote, grassroots effort behind the activity in question, there is a, quote, fake, unquote, or, quote, artificial, unquote, appearance of support. I wonder whose taxpayer money gets wasted on it. Yesterday, the Russian President Vladimir Putin had a public talk with war correspondents. Ekaterina Aglamovich, a blogger, asked him about, quote, Western propaganda and the people deceived by it. Putin responded, The information space is a battlefield, a crucial battlefield. So, if someone uploads or writes something and provides an address, this is one thing. However, if there is no address and it is not clear who is writing or speaking, this is a completely different story. You and I are well aware that you can post things online using well-known technical means, and you can make it look like millions of people have seen these videos and commented on them when in fact there is just one person behind it who simply uses modern technology to replicate it endlessly. But of course, there certainly are people who have a certain frame of mind, and they can express their point of view. What can we do to oppose this? I think this audience will know what I mean. This can and should be countered not so much by restrictions or administrative or law enforcement constraints, but by effective work in the information environment on our part. And I am really counting on your help. And then Bernard goes on to, uh, uh, the moderator goes on to comment, well, he did not talk to me and no, I do not post at all to help Russia or Putin, but to lay things out as I see them. If that is at times consistent with whatever this or that or other, excuse me, if this is at times consistent with whatever this or that other public person says, it is likely to be a coincidental and temporary state. And next, we're going to tackle a situation uh, that broke in uh, May of, uh, in the spring of 2021, and it alleged that uh, a Belarusian MiG fighter aircraft forced down a commercial flight and uh, had a heroic uh, anti-Belarusian or anti-Russian dissident arrested. And uh, the New York Times had a story about his alleged uh, reversal of political polarities having something to do with his girlfriend. From dissident hero to a pardoned villain, unquote, by Andrew Higgins, from the New York Times of May 24th of 2023. And a somewhat different take on that comes from an article that we have read before. And this comes from the Postal, a very conservative publication, from the Postal of May of, of April 1st of 2022, The Military Situation in Ukraine by Jacques Beau. Colonel Jacques Beau, that's J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, capital B-A-U-D, is a colonel in the Swiss Intelligence Service. And during the Cold War, he was in charge of law intelligence on the, actually, in intelligence, I shouldn't say law intelligence, on the NATO pact, on, excuse me, on the Warsaw Pact forces. Although Switzerland is not actually a member of NATO, he has worked closely with NATO, and he was particularly involved with Ukraine. And a dramatically different picture emerges, courtesy of Colonel Bo, who I think we can assume is not a Russian agent. 
Among the famous figures of the Azov, I've this again from the military situation in Ukraine from the postal of April 1st of 2022. Among the famous figures of the Azov Regiment was the opponent Roman Putasevich, P-R-O-T-A-S-E-V-I-T-C-H, uh, Moon of Alabama spells that with one S. Among the famous figures of the Azov Regiment was the opponent Roman Putasevich, arrested in 2021 by the Belarusian authorities following the case of Flight FR-4978. On May 23rd, 2021, the deliberate hijacking of an airliner by a MiG-29, supposedly with Putin's approval, was mentioned as a reason for arresting Putasevich, although the information available at the time did not confirm this scenario at all. But then it was necessary to show that President Lukashenko was a thug and Protosevich a, quote, journalist, unquote, who loved democracy. However, a rather revealing investigation produced by an American NGO in 2020 highlighted far far-right militant activities. The Western conspiracy movement then started an unscrupulous media, quote, airbrushed, unquote, his biography. Finally, in January of 2022, the ICAO report was published and showed that despite some procedural errors, Belarus acted in accordance with the rules in force and that the MiG-29 took off 15 minutes after the Lion Air pilot decided to land in Minsk. So no Belarusian plot had even less Putin. Ah, another detail. Pulisevich, cruelly tortured by the Belarusian police, was now free. Those who would like to correspond with him can go to his Twitter account, and that is uh, linked here. There is a longer and more detailed analysis. This also from the Moon of Alabama blog, and this is from May 26th of 2021. Now, they spell Pobosevich with one S. Uh, there is some interesting information about this, and it uh, expands on what Colonel Bo put, what Colonel Bo wrote. Roman Pogosevich, arrested in Belarus, is a Western government-financed neo-Nazi. And uh, he not only is a member of the Azov formations, but as we will see, he has been financed by American uh, regime change NGOs. And the uh, Moon of Alabama writes, There is more to say about the Ryanair incident in Belarus and the arrest of the regime change operative Roman Pogosevich. We will start with the latter. The sympathetic portraits of Pogosevich in the New York Times and in the Guardian are only of interest for what they leave out. FOIA research and the Canada files have very well-sourced and way more complete pieces on him. They link to a mountain of evidence in the form of social media postings, photos, and videos which support their findings. From those, we learn that Pogosevich has long been a member of the fascist Young Front Militia of Belarus. He has fought alongside the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion in Ukraine's post-Maidan civil war. Bear in mind, this is in 2021, before the current uh, outbreak of war, rather of the outright war between Ukraine and Russia. There are more pictures sourced from his friends' social media accounts. They all show him with Azov in full battle dress, with Azov insignia and guns. There have been claims that Pudusevich was only working as a journalist from Azov paper. That seems to be false. 
His father confirmed that his son, quote, fought, unquote, in Donbass. The Azov leader Andrei Bolevsky, remember the name Andrei Bolevsky, because we're going to come back to him. The Azov leader Andrei Bolevsky confirmed that Pogosevich fought with them in Donbass and that he was wounded. Neither the New York Times nor the Guardian mentioned Pogosevich's ideological position or his involvement with the neo-Nazis of Azov. The London Ponds had originally reported that Pudasevich was involved with Azov, but later silently removed that passage from its report. Another point missing from Western media is that Pudasevich has long been on the payroll of various Western government-financed propaganda media. And that goes on to say, after being arrested for hooliganism, Pudasevich would leave for Prague, Czech Republic in December of 2017 and begin formally integrating into the imperialist media sphere. Pudasevich was a 2017-2018 Václav Havel journalism fellow in Prague for U.S.-funded regime change outlet Radio Free Liberty on Radio Free Europe. Four months after a week-long tour of the U.S. State Department in April of 2018, Pudasevich began working for USAID-funded Belarus Radio FM on August 31st of 2018. He left his job, in, he left this job in December of 2019, and would announce his new job as editor-in-chief of Nexta, N-E-X-T-A, a foreign-funded telegram messaging channel covering Belarusian news located in Poland beginning in March of 2020. Stepan Putila, Pudasevich's partner at Nexta, worked for years at Belsat, which has been funded by the Polish Foreign Ministry since 2007, before engaging closely with Nexta. Nexta played a key role in organizing pro-coup demonstrations in Belarus to protest Western-supported candidate Svetlana uh, Tikhanovskaya, who only won 11% of the vote, yet falsely claims that the election was rigged in Lukashenko's favor, along with the regime change organization's NED-funded activists in Belarus. The woman's last name, by the way, T-S-I-K-H-A-N-O-U-S-K-A-Y-A. I probably butchered the pronunciation. Continuing with the reading, Pogosevich's 2018 visit to Washington, D.C. is of special interest. On April 20th of 2018, he flew via Brussels to Washington. On April 23rd of 2018, he posted a picture with the subtitle, quote, The most important week in my life begins, unquote. The same day, he posted a picture of himself inside the U.S. State Department stating, quote, Never had so many important and interesting encounters in my life. Tired, but very pleased, unquote. In D.C., he met with fellow regime change swamp creature, the Ukrainian-American Gleb Zavoronkov, Z-H-A-R-V-O-R-O-N-K-O-V. Someone should ask the State Department what it thinks of Roman Podosevich's fashion habits. And then uh, it notes the following, a tweet from Volog Ishenko, Pudasevich's selfie in an explicitly neo-Nazi brand Sva Stone, that's capital S-V-A, capital S-T-O-N-E. It's extremely likely that one can wear these t-shirts without being, quote, in, unquote. Neither the New York Times nor the Guardian portrait mentioned Pudasevich's employment by Western-funded regime change media 
or his State Department visit. Neither is astonishing. A recent job description by the New York Times for a correspondent position in Moscow demanded extreme anti-Russian bias. The Guardian piece was co-authored by Luke Harbing, who is well known for his anti-Russian slant, his closeness to MI6, and his fake reporting. In a recent book, Luke Harding, an investigative reporter at The Guardian, described how Mr. Steele had dispatched his, quote, collector, unquote, Donchenko, to surreptitiously approach a real estate broker, Sergei Milian, M-I-L-L-I-A-N, who was a peripheral figure in the Trump-Russia saga. Milian spoke at length and privately to this person, believing him or her to be trustworthy, a kindred soul, Mr. Harding wrote. But the trouble for Mr. Harding, who is close to both Mr. Steele and Mr. Simpson, was that he wrote those lines before the release of the FBI interview of Mr. Donchenko. In the interview, the collector said that he and Mr. Milian might have spoken briefly over the phone, but that the two had never met. Mr. Harding did not respond to requests for comment. But the London Times silently deleted the well-sourced Protosevich-Azov relationship from its report, lets one to assume that the British government had issued a D-notice to hide that fact. And that again from the Moon of Alabama blog of May 26th of 2021. And it was uh, uh, reposted, uh, actually it was linked, I should say, uh, in a recent Moon of Alabama uh, post. Uh, a couple of New York Times headlines and then uh, an excerpt of one of the articles, and we're going to talk about more propagandizing from the West. The New York Times of May 13th of 2023 had Kiev's advance near Bakhmut exposes rifts among Russian forces by Mark Santora and Andrew E. Kramer. Again, from the New York Times of May 13th of 2023, and then the New York Times of May 21st of 2023, clawing back another inch near Bakhmut over three bloody days by Mark Santora. And an excerpt, speaking of the unit doing the said clawback, it is led by Colonel Boletsky, a former ultra-nationalist and founder of the Azov Regiment, which was part of the National Guard before the war and is now integrated into the country's military with little or no political bent. <laughs> uh, again, bear, bear that in mind. We're going to talk about who Colonel Bolewski is. And then another piece of uh, media analysis by the Moon of Alabama blog, this is from May 13th of 2023. They are propagandizing for Nazis, but won't tell you that. And it reads, At the start of the recent war in Ukraine, Western media changed their mind about Ukrainian Nazi groups. What they had condemned over years in their headlines and pieces was first whitewashed and, when that was not enough, simply eliminated from the context. As an example, I had pointed to the changing headlines and descriptions of the fascist Azov militia in the pages of the New York Times. And he does just that from the New York Times of May 15th of 2019. On his flak jacket was a symbol commonly used by the Azov Battalion, a Ukrainian neo-Nazi paramilitary organization. And we can note says the Azov Battalion, a Ukrainian neo-Nazi paramilitary organization. 
Then from February 11th of 2020, defenders of the Ukrainian Azov Battalion, which the FBI calls a, quote, paramilitary unit, unquote, notorious for its, quote, association with neo-Nazi ideology, unquote, accuses us of being part of a Kremlin campaign to demonize the group. And again, uh, not only the FBI, but the Department of Homeland Security has discussed uh, the Azov and the generally the Nazi elements in eastern Ukraine, to which uh, various white supremacists and Nazis from the West, including the U.S., have uh, uh, traveled to or joined in order to get combat experience and paramilitary or military training. But then, uh, as soon as the war began, no more talk about that. I have noted that the war in Ukraine has served uh, as something analogous to the old philosopher's stone of the medieval alchemists, which could allegedly turn lead into gold, and it is turning individuals and institutions in the West into the same substance as the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory, which is re fashioning, reforging, essentially, the political history of Ukraine during World War II in a pro-Nazi, pro-fascist direction. Then from the New York Times of March 17th of 2022, Facebook last week said it was making an exception to its anti-extremism policies to allow praise for Ukraine's far-right Azov Battalion military unit, quote, strictly in the context of defending Ukraine, or in their role as part of the Ukraine National Guard, unquote. And from April 29th of 2022, these scenes are from videos shared online in recent days by the Azov Regiment, a unit in the Ukrainian military, which says they were taken in the maze-like bunkers beneath the sprawling Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol, Ukraine. As I have written previously, what was once a, quote, Ukrainian neo-Nazi paramilitary organization, which even the FBI said is notorious for its, quote, association with neo-Nazi ideology, unquote, was first relabeled as merely, quote, far-right, unquote, before it became a normal, quote, unit in the Ukrainian military, unquote. In yesterday's report about some dubious Ukrainian military success near Bakhmut, the Times has taken its next step, which is to avoid mentioning Azov at all. On May 12th of 2023, videos released on Friday by Ukraine's third separate assault brigade showed soldiers piling out of armored personnel carriers and assaulting a Russian trench. Forward, forward, a soldier yelled in the video, filmed on a helmet camera. The soldiers died for cover as Russian fighters threw a hand grenade and then ran forward and threw their own grenade into a Russian bunker. The video could not be independently Verified. When one throws, quote, Ukraine's third separate assault brigade, unquote, into a web search engine, one is likely to be pointed to Wikipedia, which then reveals the complete name of that military unit. The third separate assault brigade, Azov, is a brigade of the Ukrainian ground forces formed in 2022. History is from Wikipedia. The brigade, which was established in November of 2022, emerged from the Azov Special Operations Forces, or SSO, and initially comprised veterans of the Azov Regiment. Since then, 
It's a fully operational combat unit within the Ukrainian ground forces, ground forces of the armed forces of Ukraine. During the war, Azov has grown to active recruiting from the Azov Battalion, a Ukrainian neo-Nazi paramilitary organization, into the Azov Regiment, and after losing in Mariupol, into a brigade-sized unit. Another paragraph in yesterday's New York Times report demonstrates that, despite claims to the contrary, the ideology of the Azov militia has not changed at all. Quote, the defensive phase of the battle for Bakhmut is ending, unquote, said Andrei Boletsky, who has ultimate command of a brigade among other units in the Ukrainian army. Now, he said, Ukraine would ramp up the pressure on the Russians from the north and south. Who is this Andrei Boletsky? Again, I mentioned him in connection with the Protosevich discussion. Well, you will not, this is by the way, obviously, Moon of Alabama. Well, you will not learn from the current New York Times, which leaves his title and position undefined. Which again leads me to Wikipedia. Andrei Yohanovich Boletsky is a Ukrainian far-right politician. He is the leader of political party National Corps. He was the first commander of the Volunteer Militia Azov Battalion, which he founded in 2014, and a co-founder of the Nationalist Movement Social National Assembly. Reading further, we can also learn about Boletsky's political views. In 2010, Boletsky said that the Ukrainian nation's mission is to, quote, lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against semi-led intervention, unquote. There is more to learn about Andrei Boletsky's ideology. In addition to the supremacy of the white race, Boletsky claimed to defend the West to want the destruction of democracy in Europe, notice, to want the destruction of democracy in Europe, the destruction of capitalism, and of the, quote, Zionist international, unquote, which will be replaced by notsocracy, or notsocracy, a couple N-A-Z-O-C-R-A-C-Y, which are his own words. As an historian, Boletsky, in addition to the conspiracy theory that was very much a part of his rhetoric, was also committed to revisionism, rewriting the history of the Ukrainian people, whose roots, according to him, lay in the Scythian civilization, which he linked to the Cossacks in an attempt to erase the real origin of the Kiev Rus. Going much further than the Nazis, he went so far as to declare that the latter had not taken into account the need to racially cleanse the population, including the Aryan population, in order to eradicate degenerate subjects such as alcoholism, drug addiction, and others. His idea was to take into account, quote, the biological character of each family, unquote. Going much farther than American eugenics, he proposed the total and literal cleansing of the race stating that the Ukrainian national culture was derived from the people, not from their history, religion, heritage, or language. He even declared that, quote, the historical mission of the Ukrainian nation at this critical moment is to lead the white peoples of the world in the last crusade for its existence and to fight against the subhumanity led by the Semites, unquote. Reading more about him reveals that Boletsky has not only theorized Nazi ideology, but has over years committed violent acts against various of the, quote, enemies, unquote, it designates. He's been arrested and jailed for those crimes several times. 
the Wayback Machine, has a copy of a booklet in Russian with various of his writings. In 2005, for example, he wrote about, quote, what is Ukraine? The nationalist view of Ukraine is definitely a view into the past and present and the project of the future, Great Ukraine. Our Ukraine has an area of 945,000 square kilometers, i.e. 343,000 square kilometers more than today's, inhabited by 60 million people, mostly Ukrainians. These 343,000 kilometers of land were taken away from the Ukrainian nation in the past. The Cuban, K-U-B-A-N, and nation, the Cuban, again, same spelling, and Eastern, Slobodnamashina, that's S-L-O-B-O-Z-H-A-N-S-H-C-H-Y-N-A, I'm sure I'm murdering that pronunciation, now under Muscovy, Komshinia, K-H-O-L-M-S-C-H-C-H-Y-N-A, and Podlazi, P-O-D-L-A-S-I-E, under Poland. Uh, Bereshina, that's B-E-R-E-S-T-E-Y-S-C-H-C-H-Y-N-A, under Belarus, Transnistria, under Moldova, M-A-R-M-O-R-O-S-H-C-H-Y-N-A, under Romania, Pesar region, under Slovakia, Western Transcarpathia, under Hungary, all of these lands, together with modern Ukraine, make up indivisible united Ukraine, which we have no right to trade or give up. However, Ukraine is not just a piece of territory in the center of Europe, outlined by the settlement of the Ukrainian nation. It is an absolutely unique alloy, an ethno-geographical organism. There are a lot of wars that will need to be waged for that, quote, project of the future, unquote. I have found no information about about Bolesky's current official position, though the way the New York Times describes him, quote, who has ultimate command of the brigade among other units in the Ukrainian army, unquote, one must assume that he is now a high-ranking military officer. From directly describing the the ideology of Azov as, quote, neo-Nazi, unquote, the New York Times has moved over several stations into avoiding its mentioning. It quotes its leader, without identifying him, and without giving any context. And what we're going to turn to next, and that concerns the blowing of the Novokarkovka dam. Uh, not, uh, excuse me, Karkovskaya dam. And uh, we note the following on October 21st, um, Maria Zakharova, who's the spokesperson for the Russian, the Russian, uh, foreign ministry, noted, Russia's ambassador to the UN sent a letter to the UN Secretary General regarding Kiev regime's plans to destroy the Kakovskaya hydroelectric dam. Here is a question for Antonio Guterres. What has been done? And I'm gonna read the letter. This is from the, uh, United Nations Security Council from uh, 2022. Weber dated 21st of October 2022 from a permanent representative of the Russian Federation to the United Nations addressed to the Secretary General and the President of the Security Council. I would like to draw your attention to the plans of the Kiev regime to destroy the Kalkovskaya of hydroelectric dam in Kherson province. In particular, Ukrainian forces 
are considering launching sea mines downstream, down, down the Dnieper River, or a massive missile strike. Note the later, because we're going to take a look at indicators that that may have taken place. Or a massive missile strike. We are also see, we, we are also registering airstrikes targeting the locks of the electric power station with the intention to raise the river level. Such a reckless Ukrainian attack would result in catastrophic flooding of the nearby territories and irreparable damage, irreparable damage to the city of Kherson itself. It might cost thousands of innocent lives. The authorities in Kiev and their Western backers will bear full responsibility for all the consequences of such a devastating scenario. To avoid the threat to civilization, excuse me, to avoid the threat to civilians, a large-scale evacuation of citizens from the right bank of the Dnieper River is currently being carried out by Russia. I urge you to do everything in your power to prevent this heinous crime from happening. I would be grateful if the present lever could be circulated as a document of the Security Council. That's signed Vasily Vasily Nebenzia, capital M-E-B-E-N-Z-I-A, and I may be mispronouncing that. And uh, the next article, again, was a very interesting piece of foreshadowing, comes from the Substack column of Andrew Koribko, K-O-R-Y-B-K-O, from June 6th of 2023, and it's titled... Don't forget the Washington Post report from December about Kiev's plans to blow up the Kakovka Dam. And uh, this is an excerpt from the actual Washington Post story. Kovalchuk considered flooding the river. The Ukrainians, he said, even conducted a test strike with a HIMARS launcher on one of the floodgates at the Nova Kakovka Dam, making three holes in the metal to see if the Dnieper's water could be raised enough to stymie Russian crossings, but not flood nearby villages. The test was a success, Kovalchuk said, but the step remained a last resort. He held off. And then uh, uh, Andrew Kuribko goes on to say, Major General Andre Kovalchuk, admitted to the Washington Post last December, that's December 2022, but his side had previously planned to blow up part of the Kakovka Dam as part of its Kherson counteroffensive. It therefore seemed unthinkable that Kiev would ultimately do just that over half a year later, and then gaslight that Moscow was to blame when the mainstream media itself earlier reported the existence of Ukraine's terrorist plans after quoting the same official who bragged about them. The partial destruction of the Kakovka Dam on early Tuesday morning saw Kiev and Moscow exchange accusations about who's to blame, but a report from the Washington Post in late December extends credence to the Kremlin's version of events. Titled, quote, Inside the Ukrainian counteroffensive that shocked Putin and reshaped the war, unquote, its journalists quoted former commander of November's Kherson Offensive, Major General Andrei Kovalchuk, who shockingly admitted to planning this war crime. Quote, Kovalchuk considered flooding the river. The Ukrainians, he said, even conducted a test strike with a HIMARS launcher on one of the floodgates at the Nova Kokovka Dam, making three holes in the metal to see if the Dnieper's water could be raised enough to stymie Russian crossings, but not flood nearby villages. The test was a success, Kovalchuk said, but the step remained a last resort. He held off, unquote. 
His remark about how, quote, the step remained a last resort, unquote, is pertinent to the call at present considering the first th- that the first phase of Kiev's NATO-backed counteroffensive completely failed on Monday, according to the Russian Ministry of Defense. Just like Ukraine launched its proxy invasion of Russia in late May to distract from its loss in the Battle of Archimavusk, that's also called Bakhmut, so too it, does it seem to have gone through with Kowalczyk's planned war crime to distract from this most recent embarrassment as well. The above-mentioned explanation isn't as far-fetched as some might initially think either. After all, one of complexity theory's precepts is that initial conditions at the onset of nonlinear processes can disproportionately shape the outcome. Note that in, in uh, connection with the, uh, the allegation of a Russian civil war and uh, all 25,000 members of the Wagner organization marching on Moscow or is it Rostov on Don? I got my doubts that we could get all 25,000 to do something like that. Also, we haven't seen any credible footage of same. Again, I wonder, though, about the placing of cyber weaponry in uh, the late Obama administration on Russian systems. Might that include some of the uh, electronic communication systems of various Russian ministries, uh, the FSB, the, uh, the Ministry of Defense? Again, I do not know. But I wonder, and also remember that deep fakes uh, are something the Pentagon has been advocating as part of its information warfare, and of course we are also in the age of AI. So what is really going on in Russia? Uh, bear in mind again that the Internet is an information weapon, part of the same uh, counterinsurgency program uh, that developed Agent, Agent Orange during the Vietnam War. Uh, repeating and continuing with Andrew Karibko's analysis. The above-mentioned explanation isn't as far-fetched as some might initially think, either. After all, one of complexity theory's precepts is that initial conditions at the onset of nonlinear processes can disproportionately shape the outcome. In this context, the first failed phase of Kiev's counteroffensive risked running the entire campaign. Uh, one more time. In this context, the first failed phase of Kiev's counteroffensive risked ruining the entire campaign, which could have prompted its planners to employ Kowalczyk's last resort in order to introduce an unexpected variable into the equation that might improve their odds. Russia had over 15 months to entrench itself in Ukraine's former eastern and southern regions that Kiev still claims as its own through the construction of various defensive structures and associated contingency planning so as to maintain its control over those territories. It therefore follows that even the most properly supplied and thought-out counteroffensive wasn't going to be a walk in the park contrary to the Western public's expectations, thus explaining why the first phase just failed. This reality check shattered whatever wishful thinking expectations Kiev might have had since it showed that the original plan of swarming the line of contact entails considerable costs that reduce the chances of it succeeding unless something serious happens behind the front lines to, d- to distract the Russian defenders. Note the following, because that could have something to do with all the allegations of a uh, uh, a Wagner Group uh, coup. 
This reality check shattered whatever wishful thinking expectations Kiev might have had since it showed that the original plan of swarming the light of contact entails considerable costs that reduce the chances of it succeeding unless something serious happens behind the front lines to distract the Russian defenders. Is that what all these allegations of a Wagner coup are? Therein lies the strategic reason behind partially destroying the Kakovka Dam on Tuesday morning, exactly as Kowalczyk proved late last year, is possible to pull off for his own admission to the Washington Post. The first of Kiev's goals that this terrorist attack served was to prompt global concern about the safety of the Russian-controlled Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which relies on water from the now rapidly depleting Kakovka Reservoir for cooling. The International Atomic Energy Agency said that there's, quote, no immediate nuclear safety risk, unquote, but a latent one that can't be ruled out. Should a crisis transpire, then it could throw Russia's defenses in northern Zaporizhia region into chaos. By the way, uh, Ukraine is threatening that Russia's going to sabotage the nuclear power plant. Yeah, sure. The second... The second goal is that the downstream areas of the Kherson region, which are divided between Kiev and Moscow, have now been flooded. Although the water might eventually recede after some time, this could complicate Russia's defensive plans along the left bank of the Dnieper River. Taken together with the consequences connected to the first scenario, this means that a significant part of the riparian front behind the line of contact could soon soften up to facilitate the next phase of Kiev's counteroffensive. In fact, the geographic scope of Kiev's, quote, unconventional softening operation, unquote, might even expand to Crimea due to the threat that Tuesday morning's terrorist attack could pose to the peninsula's water supply via its eponymous canal. The regional governor said that sufficient, apply, sufficient supplies remain for now, but that the coming days will reveal the level of risk. While Crimea still managed to survive Kiev's blockade of the canal for eight years, there's no doubt this development is disadvantageous for Russia. The fourth strategic goal builds upon the three that were already discussed and concerns the psychological warfare component of this attack. On the foreign front, Kiev's gaslighting that Moscow is guilty of, quote, ecocide, unquote, was amplified by the mainstream media in spite of Kowalczyk's damning admission to the Washington Post last December in order to maximize global pressure on Russia, while the domestic front is aimed at sowing panic in Ukraine's former regions with the intent of further softening Russia's defenses there. And finally, the last strategic goal that was served by partially destroying the Kokovka Dam is that Russia might soon be thrown into a dilemma. Kiev's, quote, unconventional softening operation, unquote, along the Kherson zaporizhia line of contact could divide the Kremlin's focus from the Belgorod-Kharkov and Donbass fronts, which could weaken one of those three and thus risk a breakthrough. The defensive situation could become even more difficult for Russia if Kiev expands the conflict by attacking Belarus and or Moldova, too. To be absolutely clear, the military strategic dynamics of the NATO-Russian proxy war in Ukraine still favor Russia for the time being, though that's precisely why Kiev carried out Tuesday morning's terrorist attack in a desperate attempt to reshape them in its favor. This assessment is based on the observation that Russia's victory in the Battle of Arpimovsk 
shows that it's able to hold its own against NATO in the, quote, race of logistics war of attrition, unquote, that the bloc's chief declared in mid-February. Furthermore, even the New York Times admitted that the West's sanctions failed to collapse Russia's economy and isolate it, while some of its top influencers also admit that it's impossible to deny the proliferation of multipolar processes in the 15 months since the special operations began. These include German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, former U.S. National Security Council member Fiona Hill, and Goldman Sachs President of Global Affairs Jared Cohen. The military strategic dynamics described in the preceding two paragraphs will inevitably doom the West to defeat in the new Cold War's largest proxy conflict thus far unless something major unexpectedly happens to change them, which is exactly what Kiev was, which is exactly what Kiev was trying to achieve by its latest terrorist attack. And then a good moon of Alabama uh, post on the breaching of the, the dam. From June 13th to 2023, Nova Kokovka Dam Breach. A few hours ago, a alleged explosion blew up the Nova Kokovka Dam in Ukraine. Did Russia destroy the Nova Kokovka Dam? Propaganda will tell you that Russia detonated the Nova Kokovka Dam, which was and is under its control. It thereby allegedly cut off Crimea from its major water supply and endangered the cooling of the six reactors of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The island, as well as the power plant, are under firm Russian control. Well, so you can believe that, or you can look for some facts hidden behind such news. New York Times of June 9th of 2023, battles rage as Ukraine tries to retake Russian-occupied territory. Experts say the dam, which was held by Russian forces, was probably destroyed by an intentional explosion within the massive structure. They say an explosion from the outside like a missile strike or a structural failure by earlier war damage and high water spilling over the top were conceivable causes, but far less likely. Then New York Times of June 12th, Ukraine claims more small advances in counteroffensive, but no breakthroughs. Engineering and munitions experts have said that the dam was probably breached by an explosion from the inside, not by shelling or other external attacks, and not by a structural failure. CNN of May 12th of 2023, Britain has delivered long-range Storm Shadow cruise missiles to Ukraine, ahead of expected counteroffensive, sources say. Then note what Wikipedia says about the Storm Shadow. The Storm Shadow's broach warhead features an initial penetrating charge to clear soil or enter a bunker, then a variable delay fuse to control detonation of the main warhead. Intended targets are command, control, and communication centers, airfields, ports, and power stations, ammunition management and storage facilities, surface ships, and submarines in ports, bridges, and other high-value strategic targets. Note that is intended to penetrate at hard targets. And then notice the following. Two-stage warhead punctures external shell, then detonates inside target. This is from a, a diagram with Wikipedia. And note the following entry. This from the Federation of American Scientists, the Storm Shadow. When engaging hard targets, such as hardened aircraft shelters or bunkers, the missile will strike the target at the estimated optimum dive angle selected during mission planning. On impact, the detonation sequence commences. 
The precursor charge will perforate the target structure and any soil covering, and the follow-through penetrator warhead will continue to penetrate inside the target to be detonated after a pre-selectable fuse away. In other words, it is intended to penetrate a hard target and detonate inside of it, rather like the explosion that uh, breached the Novokokovka Dam. Now, obviously, I can't say whether or not it was a storm shadow missile, but I think it is extremely unlikely. Uh, in fact, I think you can rule out that Russia uh, decided to basically uh, commit suicide and do it itself, particularly in light of the fact that uh, Russia warned this was in the works, and the Washington Post itself in December of last year spoke at length uh, about uh, Ukrainian rehearsals for just such an attack. Again, it's very interesting to see how much of this war is actually being waged in the information and disinformation realm. Now, uh, links. First of all, please go to the SpitfireList.com website for the brilliant comments, most of which were made by Parafractal, some of which were made by other intelligent listeners. There is a link at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post, which if you click on it will enable you to subscribe to the WFNU podcasts of For the Record. And increasingly, podcasts are the the, uh, way most People like to consume the For the Record program, and WFMU is doing that. There is a link, again, at the top of each written For the Record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post for people who would like to subscribe to the podcast. And there's also a link at the same, at the top of the same, two entities, each written For the Record description and each Food for Thought post that will enable you to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my written and audio work for the better part of half a century, also all the comments made by Parafractal and others, plus a library of old anti-fascist books and easy-to-download PDF files. That flash drive will be, uh, will be updated shortly to contain all of the current program. And again, this is against the background of uh, a fury on the Internet alleging that uh, somehow all 25,000 members of the Wagner mercenary group were able to march on Moscow or Rostov on Dom. Who knows? Um, it does seem unlikely that all of them would be able to uh, be marshaled for what would appear to be a suicidal entry into civil war. Also remember that late in the Obama administration, he instructed the NSA to install cyber weaponry on key Russian systems. Does that account for some of what we're seeing? I can't say for sure, but certainly in light of the fact that the Internet is itself an information weapon, that is something to keep in mind. This concludes for the record program number 1303, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies? This, the part 25, this is being recorded on June 23rd of the year 2023. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.